All right. Hello. How are you guys doing tonight? All right. Hey, good to see you all. Hello. Hello, friends. All right. So um, I am so glad to be here with you guys this weekend. Are you guys stoked to be at winter camp? Oh, man. Such a blessing to be here. So I want to introduce myself tonight. My name is Chip. Um, I spent four years living and serving up here at Hume. Um, I, I worked as our wagon master, which means I ran wagon train, our elementary camp. I basically dressed up as a cowboy for four years straight. It was awesome. It was sweet, um, and, uh, and I'm so glad that I get to be back here because I love camp. I love what happens on this mountain. I, I love the ways that God moves as his word is opened um, and, and preached, and so I'm, I'm so, so excited to be with you guys. Um, but you guys don't really know me. Some of you do, uh, but, but most of you don't, don't really know me. Maybe, maybe you've, you've seen me before. Maybe you've heard me. How, did, did any of you guys go to Wagon Train was that when I was there? I, all right, okay, a handful of you. Sweet, sweet. Um, but since you don't know me, I, I think it's really important that right here, right up front, at the beginning of our weekend together, that we establish some trust with each other. Because uh, I'm gonna be talking at you guys a lot, and I want you to believe what I'm saying. So I'm gonna tell you right up front that this weekend, I'm gonna be totally honest with you, okay? I'm gonna be totally honest with you, and it starts with this. Um, my name is not Chip. Um, I'm sorry, it's not. Uh, my, my real name is Aaron, um, and I, it feels wrong to, to say that, but I wanna tell you, my, my, name, is, my name is Aaron. That's my first, my first confession. Um, I also, um, so, something else you should know about me is that I'm, I'm a giant nerd. Um, this is an uh, important confession, something that I want to share with you so that you know that I really am telling you the truth. I, I, I'm a giant nerd. I love, I love comic books. Um, I, I, I love DC comic books specifically. Um, but, but here's the thing. Here, I know some of you are going to boo, but it's because you don't read comic books, you watch movies. I'm a DC comic book fanboy, but, but because I'm being honest with you, obviously the Marvel movies are better, all right? Anyone who tells you different... It's crazy. They're just wrong. They're just wrong. I'm sorry. Look, I, I love DC, but, but Marvel movies are just better. They just are. Um, I, I also, I, I, have, uh, I have a family that I love very, very much. You guys may see them around this week. My wife, Anna, and our two sons, Grant and Caleb. I told you I'd be honest, so I looked for a family picture, and that about sums it up. Um, those are two pictures of my baby, Caleb, uh, punching my son, Grant, in the face there, and my wife just kind of looking on and just closing her eyes and this just, we just make it through. So, um, so I could find some cute family picture, but that's, that's what I'm giving you instead because uh, that's a more honest, uh, a more honest approach. Uh, so like I said, I am, uh, I'm a bit of a nerd. I love all of, all of those things, comic books and superheroes and sci-fi and fantasy and uh, I love Star Wars and I love all of those things um, because ultimately I love stories. I love a good story. I love a well-told story. So I'm not a big fan of sports, believe it or not. Um, it, it might look like I am, but I'm not. I'm not a big fan of sports. But what I do love is a good sports documentary, okay? And I love a good sports documentary because a sports documentary 
Is all of the story of what's happening in the sport without any of like the waiting for the play clock to go down. Like I, I've, I've watched a couple football games in the last few weeks just because it's playoffs and my dad's big into football and so I'll watch it with him. And how does a one hour game go four hours? Because there's just so much downtime. So the documentary cuts all of that out. It shows you the highlights and tells you the story and I enjoy it. I love it. Because I love a good, well-crafted, well-told story. Well, this week, weekend, as we open up scripture, we're going to be looking at a very well-told, well-crafted story. We're going to be looking at the story of Jonah in the book of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the, to the book of Jonah. We're going to look at this story together. Now, when I say Jonah is a story... What I don't mean is that Jonah is fiction, right? I mentioned I love, I love sports documentaries. Those are stories. They're good, compelling stories, but the whole point of what makes them compelling is that they're true. They actually happen. The same is true for the story of Jonah. Jonah is a real story. Just like every other story in this book, just like every other story in scripture, this is a real, true person, a real man who lived in a real place in history, a real time. Jonah is a real, true story. But even a true story can be told in a way that, that is powerful and compelling. And that's what I believe the book of Jonah is. It tells this true story in a powerful and compelling way. And so what do you need at the beginning of a story? If you're writing a story in, in, in one of your classes or something, you're, you're writing a book or something like that, you're writing a short story, what do you need? Well, the first thing you need is you need some characters, right? You need some characters, because if you don't have characters, you don't have much of a story. There's not a whole lot going on if it's not happening to anybody. Right, And so here at the beginning of the book of Jonah, the first thing that we're going to see happen is we're going to see the characters be introduced. So if you've opened up your Bibles, Jonah chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 1. And I'm going to read the first two verses, and I want you to listen for three main characters. Three main characters in the book of Jonah, all right? Here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amidi saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So right there, whether you realize it or not, we were introduced to the three main characters of the book of Jonah. The three main characters of the book of Jonah. Who's the first character that we're introduced to there in verse one? Shout it out, who is it? Who are we introduced to? I heard a lot of Jonah. That's, that's, Jonah's in there, but he's not the first person we're introduced to because he's not even the main character in the story. Yes, it's named after him, but this story isn't primarily about Jonah. Who is this story primarily about? Shout it out. God. God, look at that. Right at the very beginning of verse one. Now the word of who? The Lord. The word of the Lord, the word of God. Who is our main character, primary character in the book of Jonah? God. God, so right there off the bat, we're introduced to our main character, God. And this weekend, as we look at the story of Jonah, one that many of you have heard before, my primary goal for us is not that you guys leave camp knowing more about Jonah, because you know what, Jonah died thousands of years ago. 
All right, so, so my primary goal is not that you guys leave here knowing more about Jonah. My primary goal is that you guys leave here knowing more about the main character of this story, that you leave here knowing more about God. So right there, our main character introduced, the word of the Lord, God, is our main character. It came to who? It came to Jonah. Jonah, the son of Amiti, Amitai, I don't know, that's his dad, he's got a weird name, that's fine. But Jonah is this second character that's introduced here. Now what do we know about Jonah? We don't know a ton from just that one or two verses that I read you, but we're gonna see kind of Jonah's character play out. But I'll just give you a little, a little bit of background on who Jonah is. Jonah is a prophet. What does a prophet do? What is a prophet's job? Well, for most of us, when we think of prophets, we think of, you know, if you're, again, a nerd like me, you think of, of prophecy in, like, Harry Potter or something. You think of these, these kinds of prophecies of, like, the, the, the chosen one who is to come and all that kind of stuff. And, and there's a fair amount of that in the Bible when the prophets speak. But really, the primary job of the prophet is not to predict the future. The primary job of the prophet is to speak for God. See, a prophet like Jonah is someone who gets messages from God and delivers them to people that God has made. So a prophet is someone who gets messages from God and delivers those messages. That's who Jonah is. He is a prophet, he is, he's a Jew, he's one of God's people, one of God's chosen people, and he's a person that God has chosen to deliver his word to his people. All right, so Jonah is a guy who's got a pretty impressive resume. Jonah's a guy with, uh, with some pretty good God points racked up, right? If we look at Jonah, he is, he is a leader of God's people. He speaks on behalf of God, one of God's chosen people. Jonah's kind of a big deal. And then who's the third main character? Well, maybe not a main character, rather a group of people, a group of, of characters that we're introduced to in these first few verses. Who is that? Shout it out. The Ninevites, the Ninevites. So we've got God, God, we've got Jonah being introduced, and now we have the Ninevites being introduced. Well, who are the Ninevites? Let's look, let's look and see what it says. It says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So what do we know from just that verse about Nineveh? and the people who live there. Well, we know that Nineveh is a great city, right? Nineveh, that great city, this is a great and powerful city. We know from scripture as well as from history that Nineveh is a city in what's called the Assyrian Empire. It's a powerful city in the Assyrian Empire. All right, so it's this great city. What else do we know? We know that Nineveh is evil. God says, go out and call out against Nineveh, for their evil has come up against me. Now, that's a pretty strong thing coming from God, right? This is God saying this entire city, this entire group of people are evil, and that's all we know about them. This powerful, evil force, the city of Nineveh, these Ninevites. Now, if we look at history, and, and as I was kind of studying and, and looking through some things, some of the things that Nineveh was known for are absolutely horrific. See, I, I remember, I, I, was a, I was a kid who grew up in church, and I remember hearing this story, 
And people would say, Nineveh, Nineveh's like the city of sin. It's like if God told you to go to Las Vegas. And I'm like, that, there's like good buffets and things in Las Vegas. I'm not so opposed to. No, that's not it at all. Nineveh's not like Las Vegas. There's really nothing that we can compare Nineveh to in our day and age because you see, Nineveh was evil, not just because they were gambling or, or, or whatever. They were idolaters. Nineveh worshiped false gods, pagan gods, and in doing so, there was all kinds of wickedness and evil practiced in the city of Nineveh, sexual immorality, violence, bloodshed. The Assyrian Empire that Nineveh is, is a key city in was famous for absolutely brutalizing their enemies. You see, when you came up in battle against the Assyrian Empire, when you came up in battle against the Ninevites, they didn't just defeat you, they tortured, destroyed you. They did horrible, horrific things to their enemies as if it was normal. I'm not gonna say what those things are because honestly, they're really, really, really disturbing. But that's what Nineveh was. It was this city full of these horrifically violent people who worshiped these false gods, who lived in their sin and their immorality day in and day out. So those were our three main characters in this story. God, in the skit up here that we saw, we saw God portrayed as the gardener, right? Ruling over this whole kind of gnome empire. Then we had Jonah, what was his name? Jojo, right? This, this, this guy who's, who kind of has it all together. From the outside, he looks like he's a really good dude. He's really close with the gardener. He's really close with God. He speaks on behalf of God. And then we have the Ninevites. And in the skit that we saw, the Ninevites were those backyard gnomes, the ones who, who were dirty and gross and stinky, and they're all wearing shorts for some reason. That's, that's who the Ninevites are. Those are our three main characters. So that's what's introduced at the beginning of this great story, these three main characters. But then what's the next thing you need for a story? If you have a story that just has characters, that doesn't really go anywhere, you call that an art film, all right? But if you have a story that just has characters and it doesn't really go anywhere, it's not really a story. What you need is conflict. Right? In order for a story to be a compelling story, you need conflict. And the conflict in the story of Jonah is introduced in the next verse. So let's look. So the word of the Lord came, from, came to Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, that for their evil has come up before me. Here's the conflict. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So God gives Jonah this mission. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Go to this evil, wicked, violent city full of these evil, wicked, violent people because their evil has come up against me. I want you to go tell them to turn away from their wickedness, to turn towards me, or my judgment is going to come on them. And what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite direction. 
He goes the opposite direction. He does not do what God tells him to do because there's this conflict, this conflict between God's heart and Jonah's heart. And so Jonah does not obey God because Jonah's heart is not in line with God's heart. And Jonah doesn't just disobey, he like anti-obeys, right? I showed you guys a picture of, of my boy's I have a one-year-old and I have a four-year-old, and the one-year-old is still too like, young to really get into trouble yet. He's starting to. He's starting to like, figure out um, how to like, get into cabinets and things like that. But, but the four-year-old, he is plenty old enough to get into trouble, let me tell you. And, and he's starting to hit this like, rebellious phase where he doesn't just disobey me, but sometimes he like, anti-obeys me. Right, where I'll be like, hey, Grant, Grant, I want you to go clean your room. Right, and it's one thing if he like, just sits there and keeps watching Paw Patrol, but it's another thing if he looks up and looks me in the eye and walks into his room and takes like, the toy box and just dumps it on the floor and is like, what you gonna do, old man? Like, that's a totally different thing, right? That, that, is, that is not just disobeying, that is anti-obeying, right? And that's basically what Jonah does here. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and Jonah goes to Tarshish, the whole other direction. In the skit there, he said he was going to the front, front yard, which is that like the curb or the sidewalk? I'm not sure what the front, front yard is, but, but he's going to the front, front yard. He's going as far in the other direction as he can get. And why is he doing it? He's doing it because his heart is not in line with God's heart because his heart is against God's heart, because the things that Jonah wants are not the things that God wants. We actually find out later in the book, in the book of Jonah, we find out later exactly why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. See, we might think, well, of course he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. I mean, you, you just told us about how Nineveh was this horrible, violent place where they would do horrific things to their enemies and that Jonah is one of their enemies. But when Jonah says in chapter four why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh, he doesn't say, God, I didn't want to go there because I was scared. Do you know what he says? He says, I didn't want to go there because I wanted you to judge them. I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I didn't want them to have a chance to escape the punishment that they deserve. I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I wanted to see them suffer. So you see, Jonah's heart is not in line with God's heart because Jonah hates Nineveh and Jonah wants to see judgment. Jonah hates Nineveh, Jonah wants to see judgment, so what does he do? He disobeys God. He disobeys the direct command of God and he goes in the opposite direction. Let's keep reading. Let's see how that works out for him. Um, starting in verse four. So Jonah's gotten onto the ship heading toward Tarshish. This is what happens. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. 
But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God, that God, your God, will give us a thought that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on, who, on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. All right, so Jonah's heart is against the heart of God. This conflict arises. God says, go and tell the Ninevites to turn away from their wickedness, to turn towards me, or my judgment is going to come upon them. Jonah says, no, I don't wanna do that, and so he flees. He runs away from the presence of God. Now, can Jonah get away from the presence of God? No, no, no. and Jonah even knows that, but sometimes we do these dumb things, right? Sometimes when, I, I remember a time when um, I was in, I think I was in middle school, and maybe it was high school, and I, I didn't write a paper that I was supposed to write for class. And, and my teacher ended up emailing my mom, and my mom came to me and she goes, Aaron, I heard that, that you didn't write this paper. And Mr., I don't even remember the teacher's name, call him Mr. What's-His-Face. Mr. What's-His-Face uh, emailed me and said that you didn't write the paper. And so I'm stuck. And so I do the right thing, right? And I come clean, I go, yeah, I didn't write the paper. I, I'm sorry, I'll turn it in late and get whatever credit I can. And you know, No, no, because I was a dumb middle school boy. And so I go, oh no, he lost it. He lost it, it was him, he lost it, right? Now, I don't think I ever thought that would actually work. But I tried it anyway. And I think that's what's happening here with Jonah. Jonah is fleeing from the presence of God. I don't think he thinks it's actually gonna work, but he tries it anyway. His heart is not in line with God's heart, and so now God is showing judgment. Jonah wanted God to show judgment, and here God is, he's showing his judgment. Only his judgment that he's showing is not judgment against Nineveh, it's judgment against who? Jonah. It's judgment against Jonah. As Jonah boards this ship, a storm comes on the water. The ship begins to be tossed. The sailors get worried. They start to, to freak out because they say, that this, this is a bigger storm than we've ever dealt with. We cannot survive this. Look, when I go out here during the summer and I, I get on a canoe and it rocks a little bit, I start to freak out, right? But if a sailor is worried, you know that something's wrong. These are guys who make their living on a ship, and here it is, it's being tossed enough that they're starting to freak out because God is showing his judgment against Jonah. God is showing his judgment against Jonah for disobeying God. He's showing his judgment against Jonah's wicked heart that is not in line with God's heart. And the ship is being threatened because of it. 
So here's my question then. God is showing his judgment against Jonah, but why? Why why would God be showing judgment against Jonah for something like this? I mean, on the one hand, we have Nineveh. We have this horrible, wicked city filled with horrible, wicked, violent, murderous, sexually immoral people. This horrible, wicked city of idolaters that worship these false gods, that steal glory that belongs to the God of the universe and give it to others. This horrible city full of people. And here Jonah is, and he didn't go to the place that God told him to go. Yet God is judging who? Nineveh? He said he's going to, but it hasn't happened yet. No, God is showing his judgment against Jonah. So why? I mean, Jonah didn't kill anybody. Jonah didn't rob anybody. Jonah didn't like burn a sacrifice to Baal or something. So why? Why is this judgment coming on Jonah? Is it just because Jonah didn't do exactly what God told him to, exactly when God told him to do it? Is that all? Yes, 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 that's it. God's judgment is coming on Jonah because Jonah did not obey the commands of God. You see, when God speaks, God does not ask. He commands. When God talks to Jonah, when God talks to his people, when God tells us what to do, he does not suggest, he does not ask, he commands because he has a right to. In the book of Amos, Amos chapter three, it talks about this. It says that when God speaks, it's like a lion roaring. And when the lion roars, you listen. It says when the lion roars, who does not listen? When God speaks, who does not prophesy? This roaring, powerful command from God is what Jonah has denied. One of my favorite places in scripture, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is in Isaiah chapter six. I'm just gonna read a little bit to you. This is this vision that another prophet, Isaiah, is having of the throne room of God, and it says this. Isaiah chapter six, verse one, if you wanna follow along, it says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This picture of the power, the majesty, the glory, the holiness of God. The throne room of God says that God is high and lifted up, that the trains of his robe fill the whole room, fill the temple, that he's surrounded by these angels who cover their feet 
because they don't want to, their shame to be exposed to God, who cover their eyes because even they, perfect angels, can't look directly at his glory who fly near him saying holy, holy, holy over and over again. And then it says when God speaks, the foundations tremble. This is the God of the universe that when he opens his mouth, it is so powerful. His utterance, his words are so powerful that heaven itself shakes. And that's the voice that Jonah said no to. The voice that shakes heaven and earth, the voice that made heaven and earth. That's the voice that Jonah says no to. You see, when Jonah went to Tarshish instead of Nineveh, he wasn't just adjusting his travel plans, he was rebelling against the king of the universe. When Jonah disobeyed the voice of the maker of heaven and earth, he was committing treason against his king. And because of that, Jonah deserved judgment. Because of that, Jonah deserved judgment. And there in that boat, as the the wind blew and the waves rocked and the boat began to break apart on the sea. Jonah was facing judgment. He had denied his creator, he had denied the maker of heaven and earth because his heart was not in line with God's heart. And so when God told him, go to Nineveh, that they may repent, that they may come to know my mercy, Jonah said, no. God, I'm not gonna listen to you. God, I'm not gonna follow your plan. God, you don't know what you're talking about. Those people don't deserve it. They don't deserve your grace. They don't deserve your mercy. They don't deserve your love. So I'm not gonna do that because God, you are wrong. He looked at the king of heaven and earth who shakes the heavens with the sound of his voice, whose glory fills the heavens. And he said, no. I know better than you. You're wrong, my way is better. He did the exact same thing that the Ninevites did. See, the way that the Ninevites lived, this life of of immorality, of of idolatry, this life of, of violence, It was a life that continually professed, God, my way is better than your way. They did that with their actions. But then here Jonah is, this prophet, this one of God's chosen people, a man that God chose to speak to his people. And here he's doing the exact same thing. He's telling God the exact same thing. Maybe his actions didn't look exactly like the actions of the Ninevites, but his heart did. Maybe the way it played itself out 
and his actions didn't look exactly the same as the Ninevites, but his heart looked exactly the same. His heart was just as out of alignment with God's heart as the Ninevites' hearts were. You see, you and I, we tend to think of sin like a game. We, we, we tend to think of this idea of whether or not we're right with God being about how much good or bad we do. This, this idea of, of these kind of cosmic scales. And that if we do more good than we do bad, then, then that good is gonna be worth more and, and we'll be right with God. We'll go to heaven. We'll, we'll get whatever reward there is at the end of this life because we've done more good than bad. Or at least we've done more, more good than, than those people over there. But that's not how God thinks about it at all. I'm gonna show you guys a little example here. Um, I've got two, uh, two colors of poker chips here. Let's, uh, let's make these red ones. These red ones are gonna be me, okay? Um, these, these are gonna represent my sin, all right? So um, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm just gonna tell you up front. Pretty good dude. I'm a good guy to know, good friend. Um, you wanna know me. Uh, and uh, and so, so let's, let's talk about my sin, though, because I'm not telling you I'm perfect. I'm not. I, I mess up. Uh, sometimes I lie. I've lied a few times throughout my life. I told you about the time I lied to my parents when I didn't write that paper. So, so that's, a, that's a bad one. That's a sin. We'll get that one on there. Sometimes I'm not as nice to my kids as I would like to be. Kids are really annoying sometimes, and sometimes it gets to me, right? And so, so I'm going to put one on there. All right. Um, let's see. What else? Um, oh, oh, you know what? Ooh. I've said a bad word or two. I have, I, I don't, I'm not proud of it, uh, but especially like in high school, I would say some things, I'm not proud, so I'm gonna give a couple, couple chips there. Oh, and one time when I was a kid, I stole a Reese's chocolate tree, so I'm gonna put that one on there. Um, all right, so that is my sin. But actually, you know what, you know what though? I went to seminary, went to Bible college, so that gets me one of those back, all right. Okay, all right, so that's my sin, that's my sin. I mean, it's, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. That's, there's a stack there. You guys can see that back there, right? Yeah, there's a little, all right. Um, now let's do someone else. Um, let's see, I, I don't want to do like a, a contemporary example. Let's go, let's go back in history a little bit. Um, let's talk about, who? Uh, Bruno? We're not talking about Bruno. Um, <laughs> No, uh, we're gonna do one I, I used to love to do in Wagon Train. Billy the Kid, Billy the Kid. Do you guys know who Billy the Kid is? He's a famous, a famous outlaw in the Old West. Billy the Kid was a bad dude. Billy the Kid killed at least seven people that we know of. So, so that's, a, that's a pretty good, I'm gonna give him a chip for every one of those murders. Here we go. Billy the Kid killed a lot of people. A Billy the Kid was a stagecoach robber. So he would steal people's money. He would do it at gunpoint. That's a pretty bad deal. Uh, Billy the Kid um, smoked and drank and did probably whatever kind of drugs they had in the Old West. I, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, we're going to put some on there for that. Um, Billy the Kid was not kind to his mother. We're going to put another one on there for that. Um, and then uh, Billy the Kid also, uh, he, he cursed a lot. We'll put a few on there. And uh, Billy the Kid was not faithful to his wife either. So there we go. All right. So 
This is me, this is Aaron, I'm not perfect, I've got some problems, I've got some sin, but I am not Billy the Kid, all right? I, I, I've messed up, yes, I understand that, but, but I'm not this guy, right? And so often this is how we think of sin. We think of, you know what, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad, I'm, I'm really a good person. If you just got to know me, you would know that, that I'm a good person. I mean, I don't like that kid, I'm kind of mean to that girl, and I mean, that guy gets on my nerves, I hit that kid the other, but, but I'm, not, I'm not Billy the Kid, I haven't murdered seven people, so I'm pretty good. And this is how we think about it. This is how we think sin works. Guys, this is how Jonah thought about it. He said, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like those Ninevites. I'm not perfect, but I'm not like those guys over there. Do you see the horrible things that they're doing? I'm not perfect, but they don't deserve God's mercy. They don't deserve God's grace. I do. But here's the thing. We see it like this. God sees it like that. You see, to you and me, you see my stack, Billy the Kid's stack. You see Jonah's stack, the Ninevite stack. And there's such a difference. But to God, this is what he sees. He sees Billy the Kid sinful. Aaron, sinful. Ninevites, sinful. Jonah, sinful. Because even though from the outside, Their lives might not look the same. On the inside, they have the same problem. And their problem is their heart is not in line with God's heart. The book of Romans chapter three, verse 23, it says this. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That every single one of us have sinned. Every single one of us have done the same exact thing that Jonah did. We've looked at the creator of the universe and we've said, no, I'm not gonna do it your way because my way is better. We've all done that. There are no exceptions. You've done it, I've done it, your counselor has done it, your youth pastor has done it, your mom's done it, your dad's done it, your grandma's done it, your, your sweet grandma on the other side, not the mean one, but the one you love and you think is perfect, she's done it too. We've all done it. Every single one of us Our lives might not look the same from the outside, but our problem is the same at its core because our problem is our heart. Our problem is that our hearts are not in line with God's heart. Listen to this from the book of Ephesians. I'll turn this off, this will be up here. It's in the book of Ephesians chapter two and it describes what every one of us is like on our own. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived according to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind or the heart, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a picture of what we are like on our own, what we are like without Christ. It says that we carry out the passions, the desires of our hearts, that we do whatever we want to do without regard for what God has commanded of us. That we follow our own way instead of his way. 
And that because of that, it says we are children of wrath. Because of that, we deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. In Romans chapter six, it says that we deserve death. The wages of our sin, what we deserve for our sin is we deserve death. Because we've looked at the king of the universe and we've said, I'm not going to do this your way, I'm gonna do it mine. I'm not gonna listen and obey you, I'm going to listen and obey my heart because our hearts are out of alignment with God's heart. We are children of wrath, we are deserving of judgment, just like Jonah was, and yes, just like the Ninevites were as well. So here's what I wanna leave you guys with tonight. Some of you are here, you're here in this room, and from the outside, your lives look a lot like Jonah's. From the outside, you're the good church kid. You know all the memory verses. You go to youth group every Wednesday. You, you go to a Christian school, maybe. You, um, you do all the right things. You get all the right grades. You're great at all the extracurriculars. You've got it all together. But I'm here to tell you that if you don't know Christ, then it doesn't matter because your heart is not in alignment with God's heart and you're still a child of wrath. You're still someone who deserves God's judgment. Others of you, you're here and from the outside, your life looks a lot like a Ninevites. You're not the perfect church. No, in fact, you're the opposite. You spent your life running and rebelling from God. You live in open opposition to everything that this book says, everything that he commands us. Maybe you hate this book. Maybe you have disdain for it. Maybe you're here because someone forced you to be here and you don't wanna be here at all. You don't wanna hear a word that I'm saying. But if that's the case, man, my heart breaks for you because you don't even know, you don't even realize that you are deserving of judgment from a righteous and holy and awesome God. Because we all are. We all are, but if I were to read further in that Ephesians 2 passage that talks about us as children of wrath, the very next words are this in verse four. It says, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Every one of us deserves judgment. Every one of us deserves punishment. Every one of us deserves God's wrath, but God. So you see, Jonah looked at the Ninevites. He said, I deserve your grace, but they don't. The reality was, you're right, Jonah. They don't deserve God's grace. They don't deserve his mercy, but you don't either. So if you're here tonight, and you're thinking, 
man, I'm not good enough for this whole church thing, for this whole Jesus thing, for, for, for all this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the ways that I've messed up. You don't know the things that I've done wrong. You don't know the horrible thoughts that I think, the things that I do when no one's looking. You don't know any of that. I'm not good enough. I, I'm, not, I'm not like these perfect church kids sitting around me. I'm not good enough. I've got news for you. Those perfect church kids sitting around you, they're not good enough either. They're not good enough either. Maybe you're here and you are that perfect church kid. That's how I saw myself in junior high. I mean, I knew that I messed up. I knew that there were things that I had done wrong. I, I knew I, I wasn't actually perfect, but I was a good kid. And you look around at some of the other kids in your youth group, maybe some of the other, the other kids in your, in your cabin, and you think, man, maybe I'm not perfect, but, but I'm not as bad as them. I mean, did you see the thing that that kid posted? Did you see the thing that they did? Did you see what, what they were looking up online? Did you, see, did you see all of that stuff they were doing? I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as them. I'm here tonight to tell you, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're every bit as bad as them. And you know what? I am too. Jonah was too. Because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have the same exact problem that our hearts are not in line with God's heart. And because of that, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's wrath. But the wonderful, glorious news that we're gonna spend the whole rest of the weekend talking about is that verse four, but God. We deserve wrath, but God is rich in mercy, full of steadfast love. And even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he makes us alive together with Christ. We're gonna talk about that all weekend long. But tonight, when you guys leave chapel, I want you to leave with an understanding that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can never earn God's favor by being good enough. And you can never do anything that puts you so far away from him that you are outside of his ability to forgive and to restore, and to give life. Let's pray. Dear God, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this story of Jonah, story of a man who, who saw himself as better than those around him. But God, we know from your word that we are all in need of you that every single one of us has sinned, every single one of us has fallen short of your perfect, glorious standard. And so God, I pray for the, the kids in this room, the campers in this room. God, I pray for the kids who are tempted to try to make it on their own, who are tempted to see themselves as good enough. God, I pray that you would break that down. I pray that you would help them to see that they are nowhere close to being good enough that they are nowhere close to, to deserving a relationship with you, but that you love them anyway.
And God, I pray for the, the students in here, the campers in here, who realize how far they are from you, who live in open rebellion to you. And God, maybe for those in here who feel like they're too far away and that they, they could never come back, that they could never be forgiven, that they could never be restored, God, I pray that you break them of that pride, that you, that you show them that you love them, that your mercy is offered to them in Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves as we are, people who are by nature children of wrath, but who by your grace can be made children of you and of your kingdom. We love you. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.